What is up, everyone? I'm back for another episode of Cross Flags Fantasy Racing Weekly. Today is Wednesday, the 13th of February. I'm excited to bring this to you. Wanted to get right into it. As you know, I try to make these things as short as possible because, uh, like I said, I'm, I, I, I get tired of listening to two-hour podcasts myself. So uh, let's get right into it. I want to talk a little bit about um, contests and how to choose contests for those of you that don't understand the strategy Strategy there. Um, when you're playing DraftKings uh, contests, there is a strategy out there that you can ch- uh, there's there's different ways to enter different lineups under different contests so let me just kind of go over what they have they have cash games which in theory are easier to cash on you're only going to double your money so like say if your contest is ten dollars if you place in the top fifty percent then you will win ten dollars uh, that's the most you can win in a cash game uh, is whatever you entered the contest, say it's $10, $20, $50, $100, $1,000, you're only going to double your money as long as you finish in the top 50%. Now, the one thing about cash games is is it does allow you to um, kind of keep your bankroll. So say you start with $100 um, and then you play a $50 cash game that leaves you $50 to you know, play tournaments with, which in theory, that's not the best way to go about it. The best way to go about it is to play about $75 worth of cash games and then play $25 worth of tournaments. Um, that way, if you, you know, you, it's much easier to win the cash games. That way you'd win 150 and if you lose your tournament money, well, then you, you still made a little bit of cash and it, you can grow your bankroll like that. Um, I personally, I'm addicted to playing tournaments. I know that is not the professional way. Um, but I've gotten so good at them that I just I just don't play cash games because um, I've learned uh, over the years that cash games are not that they are easier ten times easier to to to, to cash out on. Uh, don't get me wrong there, but you do have to still be aggressive with your lineups to get um, money out of a cash game because if you just play it safe and do all the safe plays you probably won't be in the top 50%. You still have to be pretty aggressive in the cash games to be in the top 50%. Um, also, there are you know tournaments, uh, which is where the big money's at. You have to place in the top usually 10, 10 to 5% to be in the money. You have to be in the top 3 to 2% to win the big money. So those are much harder to hit. Um, but like I said, with strategy and knowing what you're doing, it's really not that hard. I mean, I've, I've doubled my money so many times, it's ridiculous, and uh, won a ton of tournaments. So, um, But the thing with, with tournaments, though, is it's just an addicting thing because you can put in $3 and you can and you can come out with thousands, you know, and, and that's, that's addicting to me. That's why I spend all my time on tournaments. Um, I actually have a bankroll big enough to where it doesn't bother me to lose my money. If I lose my money, that's why I kind of go all out trying to win these tournaments. And, uh, you know, if I lose my money, I lose my money. It's called gambling, right? Uh, So 
the one thing I really wanted to kind of get into, though, is how to choose different tournaments because there, uh, people, some people don't understand that, you know, when you play a tournament with 100,000 people in it, of course, every lineup is going to be covered. Someone's going to hit the winning lineup. You know, it just out of 100,000 people, the odds of someone not hitting the winning lineup uh, or multiple people hitting the winning lineup is so low that you have to be dead on the money, perfect lineup, you know, in order to be, you know, winning big money. But and also in tournaments, uh, I guess you could say also in cash games, but I'm mainly focusing on the tournaments, you can get in a lower player pool contest and you don't have to be as perfect. So out there, they also have out there, you know, tournaments that have, instead of 100,000 people or 50,000 people, they've got like 2,000 people, you know, 1,000 people. They've got someone 500 people. You know, those are really good. Take your same tournament lineup, put them in those, and you don't have to be as dead on because there's not as many people, there's not as many chances of someone hitting the perfect lineup. So I just wanted to kind of hit on that because some people don't realize that choosing which tournament that you're going to enter for any particular reason, you know, there is strategy behind that. You know, I, I, I play all kinds of different tournaments. You know, I mean, I play the, you know, the 200 entry tournaments all the way up to the 50,000, 100,000 person entry uh, tournaments. So... Um, it just kind of depends if you have a small bankroll, but you want to try to go for some big money, uh, you know, or put in, you know, a dollar and try to try to make a couple hundred dollars, you know, off that one dollar. That's still a really big return on your money. Those tournaments are usually, you know, 1,500 people, 1,000 people, something like that, which is much easier. To, those are much easier to win than, say, the $50,000 tournament, a 50,000-person tournament. So, um, but if you just have all the money in the world and just want to go for broke and, you know, read my articles and uh, just kind of go for it, then, I mean, by all means, jump in the big one. But like I said, it's always good to go over your options because, like I said, if you don't have but, like, say, $100 to start, then it's always a good idea to put, you know, 75 80% of your lineups in cash games. Uh, put a good, safe, you know, I know it's going to be funny to say, but safe, aggressive, you know, lineup in there and see if you can double your money and then take your other 20 bucks and enter it in a couple tournaments, you know, or max out a 25-cent league and try to, you know, win the tournament there and just build your bankroll up and then, you know, rinse and repeat, you know. If you if you win that $75, $80 worth of cash game, well, then you're going to have 160 bucks, you know, the next week. And then if you and then when you can take that 160 and do 80 percent of it in, in cash games and do the other 20 percent in the uh, in the tournament and just keep keep rolling it like that. I mean your bankroll will get bigger and bigger and bigger, um, and uh, you know eventually you're going to be playing for the the big money for you know I mean thousand dollar tournaments. You know I mean thousand dollar entry tournaments. You know those are the ones that. You know where you can win some really big money, and you go against like very few people. So, um, you know, I just kind of wanted to go over it because some people just don't understand their options out there, and uh, that that's part of the strategy. Also, um, also coming up is the uh, the duels. Uh, I wanted to speak a little bit on that, squeeze that in here if I could. Um, 
you have very volatile outcomes in plate racing. Uh, when you have that, the chance and likelihood of you hitting something is very small in plate racing. But, like I said, with a little bit of strategy and really thinking about your picks, you know, thinking about the drivers that are that are good at getting through wrecks, the drivers that are, you know, usually play it safe, you know, stuff like that. You know, the the main thing about plate racing is just picking drivers that aren't going to get wrecked, which, I mean, I understand that that's hard to do, but there are some drivers out there that just have a knack for it. I don't understand how they do it. They don't get caught up in a ton of wrecks, and, uh, you know, they they just skate right through them. I mean, it's just absolutely amazing. You know, the, the David Reagan, Eric Amarola's of the world, uh, they, they just, for some reason, just don't ever get caught up in the mess. So when it comes to the duels, though, like I put in my article, I just wanted to stress this, that this is not, in my opinion, this isn't even a race. This is just positioning yourself for the 500. You know, if, if a spot's there to be taken, then they're going to take it. Yes, you have your aggressive idiots like, you know, Kyle Busch, Brad Kozlowski. You know, they're going to most likely take a chance here and there to do what they got to do. Um, but but the other thing is, is the scrubs in the back. The one thing that I have seen happen before is these scrubs in the back, the top, the, I mean, the back four cars or so, they, they're so far back that when a wreck happens, they have plenty of time to get out of the gas, get on the brake, and avoid the wreck. And I have seen numerous times where, you know, a big wreck will happen, and those guys will just get on the brakes and they'll just, you know, weave their way right through the wreck and, you know, finish in the top ten. Well, guess what? That's a game winner. So that's one one way to really be different from the field is pick a couple of them guys along with a couple of guys and say, the top 15 or so because you're getting up towards the better – end of the spectrum and then you have guys in the top 10 which i like to pick you know like i said my article fifth through 13th so um but then also in these duels because of what we saw in the clash it's amazing how these drivers think man i mean whenever they have a something like the clash and everything went perfect in their eyes no problems whatsoever for most of the race and then when something really big happens it takes out half the field when there's a huge wreck like that in the clash the drivers will usually take it extremely easy um, in, in the duels. I mean, because that, that's a Daytona 500 car. They've been working on that car for two months. Yeah, they got a backup car, but the backup car is a backup car for a reason. Now, I will say that these days, their backup car is generally just as good as their primary car, but in a racer's mind and in a crew chief's mind, the backup car is the backup car because it's a backup car, because it's not as good as, you know, the primary. So, to wrecking that primary, even though we all know that their backup is just as good, to them it's not. So they don't want to wreck their primary. So what, in my opinion, and we can all see if I'm wrong, um, I think they're going to do the same thing they did in the clash. I think they're going to start the race, and within three or four or five laps, they're all going to be on the high side, and this is going to be that long single-file junk that we all hate to see, and they're just going to ride like that until – in my opinion, the end. You know, I think that they're going to ride that. You know, there's going to be a few takers here and there. There's going to be, you know, maybe a few takers on the last lap, next to last lap, whatever. 
that are going to try to make something happen and try to squeeze out another spot or two after they realize that they, you know, won't be involved in a wreck. But um, I think it will be a very boring race. So I think that if you're going to enter a dual contest, you know, I think that putting, you know, one of the top two cars that start the race, maybe top three, uh, we'll put one of them as, you know, a dominator. I mean, Paul Menard led so many laps, it was ridiculous. He was in the winning lineup before Jimmy Johnson took him out, you know. And uh, that no one thought that was going to happen, you know. So th- this is where I went over this in my in my first podcast that, you know, this can happen. You know, the, the dominator situation can happen, especially in this day and age when, you know, no one wants to wreck their car. No one wants to take any chances until there's, you know, go time. And, I mean, that, that, that leaves the door wide open for a dominator. Uh, just one, no more than one. Um, but, you know, it does leave the, the case. So, basically, you know, pay attention to the front and the back of the, of the starting grid. Um, I wouldn't do a ton of those lineups, but I definitely would do some. Um, I would even do one with both. I would put one with one of the cars that starts in the front. I w- you know, I, put, I would put you know, the, uh, and I would put some of the guys that start all the way in the back, you know, have a dominator and a couple of those scrub guys in case there's a wreck, you know, I don't, I really don't think there's going to be a huge wreck because I don't think anybody's going to take any chances. So I think that, you know, doing that strategy is very risky. Um, I like doing, you know, maybe one dominator and then some guys from, you know, 17th, 18th, 16th, and then doing some guys from the 5th to the 13th range along with the Dominator. I think that's probably the best strategy to go with because I don't think there's going to be a ton of movement. So a guy moving from 9th to 6th is going to be, you know, huge, uh, I believe, in this race. I, I do think there might be one or two that, that do move more than that um, because I saw some things in the clash as far as you know, like Daniel Suarez, Denny Hamlin, they were actually able to make some moves all on their own and make up a few spots. So I do think that that is a a thing that could happen. Um, but I just kind of wanted to go over that a little bit because I don't want everybody thinking that this duel is just some all-out, you know, crapshoot and it's 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 going to be some kind of volatile, you know, crazy thing because it's just not, you know, it's just positioning yourself for the 500 and making sure you come out the other end with no issues um, to your car. And that, that's their number one objective. I mean, if, if you could tell a guy, hey, you can start the Daytona 500 third, but you're going to have a tore-up race car, or you can start the Daytona 512th or 13th, you know, with a perfect race car, uh, what would you do? I mean, well, they would definitely take the 12 or 13th because they know they can win it. The big, the, the top-tier teams, they know they can win that Daytona 500 from anywhere. They can start dead last to win that thing. So they don't want to tear up the cars, you know, so just kind of understand they're going to be playing it safe. Um, and I will know more on what I'm thinking for the 500 after I see the duels because um, I do know what we saw at, you know, Talladega last year. You know, that was, I mean, I was actually there, and it was the most boring race uh, in the world, you know. I mean, it was just 
single file, in my opinion, most of the race. There was some racing back in the pack, but not a whole lot until the final few ticks, and then that you know something happened. So I think this is kind of what we're 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 living with now is that that boring single file type racing until you know it's go time. And I think the only time that we actually have a chance to see some good racing is on restarts. So, I mean, I hope that's not right. I actually hope I'm wrong when it comes to that. But that's just what I've been seeing. Uh, these drivers need to understand that this is, this is very boring to watch on TV. So, um, just kind of wanted to go over that. And uh, if you have any questions, please comment on my page. No one has done that yet. Um, comment on my page. Like my page. Share my page. Uh, like I said, I'm trying to get this out to as many people as I possibly can. So yeah, that's about it for uh for this episode and uh you know, also let me know what you want want me to do a, a, another podcast on. What kind of information do you want to hear? You know, I want to give y'all information that y'all have questions on, you know, don't don't just read my articles if you already know everything I'm writing, you know? I mean, tell me what you want to want me to write about and you know, I'll make that happen. So anyway, later dudes.